if the consumer expresses now, I think for more than 70% across the world that they want to buy more sustainably, but only 20% really does, then of course we need to help them bridge the say-do gap. Today's guest in CMO Talk is Connie Brahms, Chief Digital and Marketing Officer at Unilever. This is CMO Talk, the podcast, marketing discussed at the highest level. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to CMO Talk. My name is Klaas Weima, professional marketer, founder of Agency Energize and podcaster since 2008. In this monthly show, we unravel the secrets of the world's marketing giants. And I'm Adam Fields, I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'm keen to know all the sneaky little tricks you marketers use to get us to part with our hard-earned cash. Connie Brown started her career in 1990 as a product manager at Unilever. Indeed, Connie has been working for this fast-mover consumer goods giant for 31 years. 31 years? It's a long time. Uh, She successfully fulfilled several EVP roles across the world, and uh, now she serves as the global chief digital and marketing officer, managing not 10, not 20, not 100, but 400 brands. Let's say that again, 400 brands. Yes, divided over 190 countries worldwide. Some staggering numbers, Staggering, yeah. And today we talk to Connie about purpose with performance. Not performance with purpose, no, purpose up front with performance. Uh, With current environmental concerns, Unilever being amongst the largest consumer packaged goods companies in the world also needs to take responsibility. On the other hand, the company still needs to stay healthy and show steady growth numbers. How does the global CMO juggle these two major responsibilities? Which role could the brands play in making a difference? You'll find out in this episode of CMO Talk. Doing well by doing good uh, was Unilever's uh, mantra when it was founded by William Lever, I've learned. And it was in the beginning of the 20th century, in 1905. It inspired his uh, successors to lead Unilever in a very sustainable way. Is Unilever really living up to uh, Mr. Lever's promise these days? Well, thanks, Klaus, for the question. And uh, I'll try and provide as well as I can the answers. And also nice to meet you, Adam. So uh, thanks for having me here. Um, And indeed, uh, let's start with the foundations of Unilever. And William Lever was indeed our founder. And he nicely put it this way, doing well by doing good. And I think implicitly, this has always been in the company. It was it's part of our DNA. And uh, only in the last sort of 10, 15 years, we've been a way more explicit about it. Mm-hmm. And actually in uh, the last, what is it, one and a half years ago, we launched our new Unilever Compass. And their purpose is truly at the heart of Unilever. So our purpose is making sustainable living commonplace. Mm-hmm. But we truly want to adhere to three beliefs we have. And the three beliefs are... People with purpose thrive, brands with purpose grow, and companies with purpose last. So it is truly at the center of everything Unilever does. Um, And then uh, if your answer is, are you really living up to it? I think the best way always to to describe is rather than having the ambition and telling Mm -hmm. that it's it's in the DNA, the way that Unilever shows up to the world is mostly via our brands. And as you rightfully pointed out, it's at least 400 brands across the world. 
And all of them um, are on this journey to, uh, to unravel their purpose. And some of them have been longer on this journey. Uh, I think brands like Dove with uh, no, self-esteem education, yeah. brands with Knorr, who now really want to make sure that people eat for good. So good for you, but also good for the planet. Mm. Hellman's, make taste, not waste. So I think we're really living up to the, the promise and the promise has only become more important nowadays. It's uh, a journey, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely a journey and sustainability is never finished, is it? So uh, that's why we have the no. COP26 yeah. uh, also coming up. Mm. So it is a journey, uh, but it's also now been proven to us that the business case really works, uh, yeah. coming back to the title of this podcast. So it is not only an ambition. It's, we're not philanthropic uh, yeah, yeah. institute. We're yeah. a business. Yeah. So the business case for sustainability, sustainability makes works. the good business sense, Absolutely. is what you're saying. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Okay. Uh, and in all honesty, the most difficult part, and that's why I'm clearly on this journey, has been changing consumer behavior. Mm-hmm. Because if the consumer doesn't embark on the journey together with us, it will be an endless journey. We need all citizens uh, sure. to come on board. Yeah. And, uh, to you can't do it by yourself. No, that's the thing. You can only do it in an, and the nicest word, the ecosystem, together with your suppliers, together mm-hmm. with all your other stakeholders. But a key stakeholder is, of course, the consumer. If the consumer expresses now, I think for more than 70% across the world that they want to buy more sustainably, but only 20% really does, yeah. then of course we need to help them mm. bridge the say-do gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a huge gap. Yeah. Doing well by doing good. The original statement by uh, Mr. Mister Lever himself. Um, as CMO of Unilever, you have a great responsibility living up to the company's purpose. Currently, 28 out of the 400 and something Unilever brands are marked as sustainable living brands, or put differently, brands with purpose. How do you juggle the responsibility of doing good and the pressure for the shareholders for results and growth? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a question I get asked a bit more often, but actually... In Unilever, we don't really see it as a trade-off. We don't see it as a trade-off at all um, because we believe by um, uh, putting products on the market that are more sustainable and having brands with a sustainable purpose, it makes really good business sense. And I think the easiest example I can give is uh, in the foods business that we run, we have set out to create a one billion business for um, plant-based meat and dairy alternatives. Mm -hmm. And we know that in the next five to seven years this segment will grow and that's not only the vegetarian butcher um, but it is also magnum vegan it is hellman's vegan it is um, these kind of products are really uh, spot on in consumer trends and that's why you can be sustainable and grow at the same time but that's probably just an example and i think uh, as i started off saying the business case for us is proven and why is that now proven um well firstly the 28 brands that you just mentioned Which they I have are to growing say it's only 28 brands out of 400 though. yes so, so that's why it mm. is a journey but we are very strict uh, so yeah. it's not only that the brand says something that which resonates and which is good for sustainability but it needs to do things as exactly. well you really need to there can't be from a brand's perspective 
give a difference between a brand say and a brand do. It only mm. holds true if you do the right things and not only less prove. harm, yeah. but also more good. Yeah. But also, and then you need to say something about it. And then the products need to deliver it as well. Mm. And that is the strict definition we hold. So, um, so that's why I think in the strictest sense, these 28, they grow twice as fast as the rest of our brand. So that's a good thing. It provides less cost. Uh, because that's a question I get all, hmm. asked a lot. Oh, but sustainability yeah. costs a lot of money. Yeah. Well, you know what? It also saves a lot of money. So if you're really looking at green energy, less waste in your factories, making sure that the changeover of lines, do, hmm. do uh, you do it more efficiently because you don't want to be um, the one who causes food waste to happen. Yeah. Um, then again, it is a huge um, uh, magnet for talent, especially nowadays. Younger yeah. people want to work for businesses that do well in the world. So mm-hmm. in 54, 74 markets that we measure this in, we are the number one employer. And I think in the end, it's brands, but it's mainly also our people that make our company. Yeah. And lastly, it is less risky uh, mm-hmm. because due to our practices, the sustainability of agriculture is more guaranteed. So, in a sense, this is all proven, mm. the fact that the business case makes sense. And that's why I don't see it as a trade-off right. between purpose or performance or how do you juggle all the stakeholders. All the stakeholders are actually getting on board, even the shareholders nowadays. But, yeah. but that's every, everybody realizes something drastic has to be done. To be we done. have to be a sea change. Yeah. Absolutely. But in yeah. terms of the second point you made, right, in terms of cost savings that, that are probably operational costs, but it, it takes a lot of investment up front, right? But the good thing there, Klaas, is mm. that you don't do this alone. Uh, mm. So uh, there's loads of businesses actually helping us out. Mm. And uh, if you think about sustainable palm oil, or if you think yeah. about uh, the shipping industry now finally getting on board as well, logistics, yeah. we don't need to invent the electric yeah. car, but yeah, we right. can use it. Yeah. So, right. uh, so there you need to take smart advantage, obviously, of your partners in the whole value chain. Because if the moment you get on this journey, I think the biggest thing I've learned is you can create uh, inspiring targets and Mm. that works in business, it has worked for diversity and it's going to work for sustainability as well. Mm. But you need to make sure that your own house is first in order, then your value chain and then go out. So you literally have sort of like a purpose or sustainability on your balance sheet next next to profits? No. Uh, no, so it's completely integrated. Okay. So we see, and it's actually proven, it's not just Unilever, but Kantar did a study in mm-hmm. 120,000 brands across the world. And they have shown there's a huge correlation, an 0.76 actually even, between uh, purpose and brand power. And we also know, so purpose drives brand power mm-hmm. and brand power drives market share and market share drives growth. And in brand power, uh, there's three things that uh, actually measure it. It's salience, which is something that you can buy, actually. But meaning and differentiation is what purpose really drives. So the the case is not just that it is proven by Unilever that it works. And it's nice. I can give a couple of examples. But it is even more important in terms of the audience and uh, people listening to this is to know that it is Kantar who has really shown this correlation. So you don't need to make a trade-off. You can really make it work. You mentioned your own house. You have your own house in order. If you look at your own house, which brand or which example could you give us which you're most proud of? 
like a recent, recent example, which made think, really the leap to our sustainable living. Yeah, I, well, the one I want to call out is Hellman's mm-hmm. because um, Hellman's... The mayonnaise. The, the mayonnaise, yes. Which, Sorry, yeah, the Hellman's... Which, which I'm a huge fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> full, full disclosure, yeah. I'm a big Matt Hellman's fan. Okay. No, and I take it as an example because often people also say, yeah, but if a brand doesn't have a purpose, then how do you create a purpose? Well, actually... What you really need to take a really good look at is your product truth and your category benefit. And as long as you stay very close to it, and I just called it out very quickly, but Hellman's has really been on this trajectory of saying one of the biggest issues we have is that a third of the food we produce in the world gets wasted. Mm. And 60% of that is actually in a consumer's households. Mm. And they look in the fridge and they say, oh, I've got nothing. Well, the truth is, if you use Hellman's mayonnaise, you can turn anything into everything that is delicious. (laughs) But I think making taste not waste is actually really spot on. Because Uh there you can draw the consumers in, mm-hmm. really make them change their behaviors. With this campaign, they've already reached more than 100 million households mm-hmm. who are now acutely aware of, actually, I can do something with this. I don't need to throw it away. Is it, is it a campaign based out of user-generated content, like consumers sharing recipes and yes, inspiration? Yes, because yeah, now yeah, yeah. there's a whole recipe uh, uh, well, circle going around, and especially also what is nice, if it always has its local twist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, of course, Helmans is in the US, but it is yeah. growing stronger and stronger in uh, Europe as well. We've launched it also across Asia. And there, you, of course, you can't use the recipes of the US in Asia, but you can use the concept everywhere. So, um, so it's yeah, it seems to really work well. How do these initiatives really translate in doing well on the long term but without being a fat? Um, nah, and that's why I said it needs to be very true to um, what the products and the category benefits are. Mm. And I think if you take a look at, for instance, at Dove, it is by now that millions of girls have actually benefited from uh, the self-esteem program mm. that we've mm. put in place. Body positivity. And yeah. Sort of yeah, thing, yeah, so y- you just need to make sure that uh, this is, a l- uh, well, like we um, did in the past, probably with Brand Promise and now with Brand Power, you need to make sure that Brand Purpose is something that sustainably can build over time. And that is why I just mentioned, for instance, Dove, that has indeed hair discrimination in the US is a major thing. Mm. So girls were sent home, the girls with the textured hair were sent home because their their hair didn't fit the no. model that they had designed that girls needed to have together with uh, the, the, um, the uniforms that they were wearing. Oh. And it was just discrimination. And then they, Dove hopped onto the wagon and said, well, no, it's all about natural beauty. And now in 17 states, that legislation has actually wow. has, has been stopped. Oh, so right. um, it is, it's now new legislation that it is, you're free to choose whatever, uh, in whatever great. way you want to wear your yeah. hair. Yeah. So it translates now, I think more personally to people because you hopefully do something about creating self-esteem with girls, but you can also take action, which is way more to do with legislation yeah. and changing rules that we have invented with all of us that are actually not inclusive. It, it will drive society change, right? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. what, and then hopefully at a certain stage, uh, I, and I see that very much, also environmental change yeah. happening. So mm. that is the whole... That's the holy grail. That's the holy that's grail. That's within your own house, uh, a lot of these, these, these campaigns... Um, how can you inspire other marketers to do good? 
Well, hopefully, first of all, by growth, because lots of the marketeers are uh, still driven by uh, making sure that our brands grow. So, uh, and making that, I think, very clear. Secondly, helping out, uh, because this is not something that we want to differentiate ourselves in. Purpose is something, it has so many facets. There's many ways in which you can contribute with your brand to be doing something that's good for people and planet. Um, And I think, thirdly, taking them by the hand and also being a bit humble, also with us, not everything thing as you pointed out 28 brands have it completely locked and they know exactly where to go but we're on a journey with another 100 brands that at times is not so easy what do you say to people because i can't help being cynical and, and you know it's it's in my blood i'm sorry cynicism is in my blood and and it when i hear companies talking about this sort of stuff it, it, it i think of greenwashing i think it's a lot of greenwashing how can we how can you prove that you're not greenwashing that it, that it's actually genuine Yeah, so I think if greenwashing for me, um, well, I think it is a practice that we really should avoid because Mm. um, it really drives down the trust in advertising. Mm. Um, So Mm. we really should avoid that to happen. The way that I do it is very much always talk about brand say and brand do. So Mm. you can't be saying something if you really are not part of the solution. Your brand do is critical Mm. in, uh, in making sure that you bring your purpose to life. Um, and uh, we had a big campaign when COVID started with Dove. Courage is beautiful. It was one of the ones that won an award yeah, in Cannes. Yeah. But we also said we can't just be airing this uh, this ad. What we really need to do is provide help to all the frontline workers. So what is the action program that comes with it? Um, and how do you really do good? And I think that's the only way in which can we can prevent greenwashing. Don't want to miss an episode of CMO Talk? Subscribe on your favourite podcast app or on cmotalk.global. That brings us to a, neatly onto our first statement. I have a statement for you. Unilever's brand promise is we aim to make sustainable living, living commonplace with high-performing brands that are a force for good, taking action for a more sustainable and equitable world. That's Oh, nice idea. But Unilever is a big producer of consumer packaged goods. So our first statement is, consumers prefer price over purpose in the supermarket aisles. Um, n- no, that's not true. Um, but of course, and that's why I said so, mm-hmm. um, the value equation does play an important role. Purpose mm-hmm. doesn't replace price. So you need to have superior product, right pricing, and then uh, purpose uh, added to it. So, um, And of course, in the end, uh, what we need to make sure over the long run is that sustainability doesn't cost us anything mm-hmm. more, uh, okay. not for the consumer and not for our industry. Do you have any ideas about how to drive consumer behavior towards the more sustainable living brands? How do you do that? Um, well, that is the holy grail, it obviously. <laughs> um, and um, Any uh, ideas? Well, yes. I think in the digital space, as you have yeah. have nicely pointed out in the beginning, and I'm the chief digital and marketing officer. You are the CDMO. Yes. Welcome to CDMO Talk, everybody. Here we go. And I think digital provides plenty of opportunities mm. because then, because in the end, the pack is only as big as it gets and we want to make it even smaller. Um, so um, less plastic is a lot better. So, or no plastic. 
But digital, if you can, and nowadays people are used to scanning. So QR codes on packs and give yeah. additional information, reward systems. One of the best working reward systems is uh, is in Alibaba, where people, mm-hmm. if they buy more sustainable products, they can plant a tree. It's been going on for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I think there are several uh, levers that can drive yeah. consumers to be choosing more sustainably mm-hmm. and If ever there's a moment, it is actually now, because what we see in all our research uh, is that consumers are more conscious. They really want to buy the products that are better for them. They see that they have a role to play, which before it was often put to big companies or etc. And they are just incapable mm-hmm. of um, of doing so because they lack the right information. information right. And that's so it's the about thing. storytelling, digital storytelling, Absolutely. showing the trail, probably use blockchain to see how the whole chain looks like, right? It's like, like Fairchain Coffee did. Can I share personal experience, Connie? Um, two years ago, I hiked the beaches of the Oman Sea and was struck by the amount of plastic waste and stumbled uh, over a personal bottle. Um, do you think that the plastic pollution challenge... Do you, don't you think it's too big to handle? No, 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 no. No, it's not too big to handle. We uh, we just need to uh, take it very seriously, and mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. do, um, and we have a whole program on less plastic, no plastic, better plastic, and okay. uh, better plastic is mo- mostly PCR, but that there it doesn't stop because post recycled, uh, uh, post consumer recycled plastic. You need to have recycling in place. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in lots of our countries, Unilever is actually quite a developing and emerging market multinational because 60% of our growth, business in, right? and yeah. most of our growth yeah. really comes from the developing and emerging markets. Mm. And there we are actively involved in setting up these recycling systems mm. because that is one of the things yeah. that you really need to get okay. you need to get right but also no plastic what are the alternatives to pack differently we've now got the first skip um, tablets uh, skip capsules actually in not in a plastic box but in a carton box okay. which in itself in the beginning seemed impossible but now it is all possible mm. um, and so and I think less plastic one of the big things we're really trying to do and I think this will be a, a huge important but it means consumer behavior change is concentration Mm. if you buy a detergent or if you buy a household cleaner um, actually sometimes 50% can be water Mm. so we're transporting water across the globe which doesn't make any sense at all you need a bigger bottle and what is easier than having a fully concentrated version pour it into your bottle add water to it which you have at home shake it and then you can use the bottle forever I I was wondering Connie uh, Unilever uh, as mentioned in our introduction is a huge company right you manage over 400 400 different brands that's amazing isn't it easier for startups like Holy Lazy Vegan Flower Farm to start up sustainable Yes, it might be easier to start like that. Mm. Uh, The question is, how do you have the most impact? And uh, I think that drives me so much for staying in Unilever and making Unilever very sustainable because the lives we touch... The sheer size. Yeah, yeah, we touch 2 billion lives. So that is unbelievable. Knorr wants to make sure that 7 billion out of 8 billion people in 2025 can eat sustainably and have uh, drive more biodiversity in the the plants and in the vegetables we eat. That is impact. So, yes, and I love the startups because, um, of course, we work together with them as well. They help us also in plastics. Mm. They help us 
Columbus and uh, we work together way more in partnerships on innovation. Uh, but I think we need many startups and many multinationals as to, uh, as to As you say, to many levers for change, not, not just Unilever. Love CMO Talk? Leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We're interested in your opinion and you'll help others find this podcast too. We're moving on to another area. We talked, we touched on it already, but in 2016, Unilever launched the campaign Unstereotype, where they promised to ban stereotyping in their commercials. Uh, Unilever also stopped using the word normal on beauty products to create a more inclusive image of beauty. So here we go for statement number two. Uh, more companies should take a stance for social inclusion and diversity. Um, that would be a yes uh, from my side. I thought you might have said that. Yeah. No, and um, the reason I say so is, of course, because it's the right thing to do. Um, But it also, here again, it makes really good business sense. We know that... um, Nowadays, 98%, because it is since 2016, of our ads are now unstereotypical and more than 60% are progressive. And we see that the moment you have these in your ads, your brand power goes up and your purchase attention Hmm. goes up quite dramatically. So it's also a really good thing to do. And it's a no-brainer for your ads. And now we have launched Act 2. And Act 2 is more about, as I said before, is more about the value chain. How can Hmm. you make sure that also the creative agencies, the media agencies, the uh, producers, etc., adhere to the policies that we uh, that we do. But, but should companies actually actively participate in social or political debates? Is that mm. a purpose of a company? Well, I think there is almost no debate that hasn't turned out to be political nowadays. Mm. So even climate change has become uh, political. COVID has become political. Mm. So what I try to refrain from is uh, party politics. But I think um, uh, brands need to pick up their role. Yeah. Mm. How do you prevent stereotyping? I think we all fall in, in the trap of stereotyping, right? Bit, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's a problem. Eh? Uh, and bias is yeah. uh, is something that um, is very difficult to rule out. And mm-hmm. human stereotyping is actually a feature that, even though you might, even though you're aware, it doesn't mean that you change it. So mm-hmm. the only way to do it is to always, for instance, in the in the field of marketing, always <laughs> have a diverse panel looking at matters, uh, making sure that you ask consumers about it. So um, it is not something that is ruled out easily from the overall society, but I think in advertising, it's not so difficult no. to uh, to attack. Now I'm going to give you a few dilemmas. They're just quick, snappy questions. You just choose one out of the two. Okay, you ready okay, for this? Okay, here we we'll go. We'll maybe discuss some of the answers. Don't think too much. Just give a quick answer. Personalization or mass marketing? Oh, and I need to choose. Just one. Just oh, the one. Mass marketing. Go for it. Good. Doing well or doing good? These are not dilemmas. These are impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, which one's slightly more important than the other? <laughs> uh, uh, doing well. Recycled plastic or no plastic at all? No plastic at all. Yes. Good. Inclusivity or sustainability? Ooh, it's the same thing, isn't it? Sustainability, no. more inclusive yeah. of all. Yeah. <laughs> Magnum or Ben and Jerry's? Oh. <laughs> Oh, impossible. Choose between your children. I uh, refuse this one. <laughs> <laughs> which, which one do you prefer to eat on a Saturday night in front of the telly? <laughs> yeah. Both are absolutely fine. It depends on the mood. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is there a dilemma would you like to uh, um, discuss in more detail? Well, I think the personalization and mass marketing mm. are, is actually a really interesting dilemma that uh. we face currently, mm-hmm. especially because we see that new brands are being built in different ways. Mm. And I think that the big FMCG players have come full circle. Uh, if you think about it, the way that we um, uh, that we used to, sh- well, our grand grandparents used to shop, the shop owner of shoes, uh, he basically knew our, our grandparents, he knew exactly what they wanted, he had a special pair for them, then we've gone into scale and mass market and brands as our avatars and now we're back to personalization oh, yeah. and yeah. Uh, the new brands being built are normally building it digitally and yep. they sell via e-commerce and they know a lot about a specific niche of people who are buying them till they reach a certain size. And then all of a sudden, brand building becomes more important. And then they go into, well, actually is personalization. I need to build the the brand for the masses as well. Because what often happens is they first go D2C, they go Amazon or Ball in this case. And Mm -hmm. then other retailers are actually asking them to list the products and then they need to reach mass. And that's why I know that everybody would have expected me to choose for personalization because you can also personalize at mass scale, obviously. But that's why I don't think there's an end to mass marketing either. Is Unilever prepared on um, the end of the third-party cookie? Yes. So, uh-huh. well, uh, so you mentioned first-party data. Is yeah. that the, the main coping strategy? You, yeah. Well, you there's uh, there's many ways, obviously. Um, but um, of course, first-party data are really important. But what uh, for me is also really important is to always stick within the ethical lines, and privacy really matters mm. because um, um, I don't. I think Unilever is too big to not take this very seriously. Mm. Um, I think first-party data is important, but um, let's also face it: the way that we capture that data, it won't come from all our web estates. Uh, the other thing what is really important is obviously to uh, to translate that also in transactional data. Because here you go with the say do gap again, people might express a lot of interest, but in the end, yeah. if there's no transaction with it, it is difficult to performance market and, uh, and have the right metric as a KPI to continue to invest or to hold back and do uh, choose something else Makes to invest sense. in. CMO Talk, an inspiring interview every month with the top names in marketing, hosted by Klaas Weimer and Adam Fields. I was wondering, being 31 years at Unilever, what's the spark that keeps you there, Connie? Um, I think you're uh, really lucky um, if you find a company that it, that is uh, very linked to the values you have as a person. Mm-hmm. And um, I also say to the people who haven't found that company yet, it is very difficult to, um, to really feel that from mm-hmm. the start. Uh, but over time, uh, I have noticed that the values, the DNA that Unilever has when it comes to the planet, to the people, the way we develop our people, the professionalism, the ethics that we want to really be uh, a company that does the right thing very much suits me and that's combined with the way that uh, Unilever always uh, throws you in and then you see if you can swim sort of uh, (laughs) into new jobs new adventures I had the fortune to be um, working and living in Spain for four and a half years I went off to uh, live in Singapore for five Mm -hmm. and a half years managing uh, our food solutions
ambitious business in Asia, Africa and the Middle East um, without actually having visited some of the countries I was responsible for before as a tourist. So wow. that really says something about uh, the development and now, opportunities. And now in the Blackfriars in London. Yeah, which is now in London. <laughs> Equally exotic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was wondering, Connie, you participated in, in several leadership offsites um, where the top managers needed to find out their own personal purpose in life. Could you share yours? Yes, it is energized to explore and jointly create a better future for all. And um, energized because I believe that, um, um, well, the CEOs or the the leaders in the business, they need to give a lot of energy to the people. So the chief energy Mm. officers uh, Mm -hmm. make sure that there's enough energy to explore because the world doesn't consist of uh, recipes that are proven all over again and again. No, this world is, uh, is there to explore and find new solutions to old problems or new problems coming up, but always with an intent to jointly, because I I'd like to work with teams and other people and with our suppliers. That's what I love about Unilever, the multi-stakeholder model uh, with a force to uh, improve the future for um, for basically for everyone uh, who is uh, linked to Unilever. So, um, so I have one last question, which I'd really like to ask. Okay, increasingly the CMO position is no longer all the time is part of the boardroom, right? So, but replaced by the CCO role, the chief commercial officer. What is your take on that development? Yeah, I think you see many variations of this. Yeah. Uh, so I am, um, I'm happy that I'm yeah. part of the leadership uh, executive. I think this new role that I've got, the chief digital and marketing officer, is also not commonly found across uh, the different uh, companies mm-hmm. because it's not digital marketing, and that's the confusion uh, a lot. So. Actually, I am responsible for marketing worldwide, but I'm also responsible for the end-to-end digitization of the total company. There's many variations. As long as um, it is clear what is your end in mind, what is the job to be done, uh, that actually defines what the right role is and uh, at which position in the company it, it needs to sit. Sure. This is really the final question for you because in the next episode of CMO, we are interviewing Arjen Dijk. You know him. I yes. Uh, and Arjen is a chief marketing officer at Booking.com. We interviewed him a year and a half ago for the Dutch uh, CMO Talk podcast and now he's going global, just like you. Uh, what would you like to ask him? Well, I think uh, Arjen has a fascinating uh, um, experience, especially the one that uh, intrigued me most was his experience in Google in Silicon Valley. And I would like to ask him, what can we all learn from your experience and what can you teach marketeers and then specifically about marketing in a digital era? Beautiful. Thank you for listening to CMO Talk with Connie Brahms about purpose and performance. Don't want to miss out any episodes of CMO Talk. You can subscribe to CMO Talk on your favorite podcast channel or very neatly on cmotalk.net and you'll be the first to know through the newsletter if new episodes are out. We are sure I hope you'll be tuning next month when we'll be talking to uh, Arjen Dijk, Chief Marketing Officer at Booking.com. If you have any questions, thoughts or ideas, feel free to share them uh, directly to me at class at cmotalk.net. Thanks for listening. Please visit cmotalk.global for more interviews. The CMO Talk podcast is developed and directed by Energize. Audio, mixing and mastering by voice booking.